Have you called a homicide detective to help you put together furniture? You got a fucking office coach. I got a mule out there. Tell him, Steve, Dave. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Tell Him, Steve, Dave. It's me, Bry, with Walt. Hello. And with Mary Beth. Hello. Who's here because we have a special guest today. Uh, that special guest is not BQ. Walt, I'm I'm nearly certain that uh, two of the Jokers sold their souls to the devil for success, and the payoff is they have to get... They have to get... Well, let's see, just left the room for some reason. Uh, they're going to get COVID every three to four months uh, for life. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a steep price to pay. Yeah, I know, but they're they're power hungry, they're fame hungry. These guys, you don't know. Uh, yeah, poor Q. I mean, I, I feel bad. Well, that's I mean, that's one of the pitfalls of you know touring and coming into contact with a lot of strangers. Shopping and jiving yep, on a continuous basis, you're putting yourself at risk uh, more so than like the average person. Like me, who doesn't leave the house almost ever, or you who come here. Yeah, I, I, I go out, but, you know, I'm not like, I'm not, when I greet people, you know, like he's got to greet people and he's got to like, just, it's a big Glad difference. Man. Yeah. All right. Well, our special guest, we don't want to leave her waiting. We've already gone through some tech issues. Shockingly, uh, our tech issues uh, prevented us from starting right away, but here we go. Uh, everyone, I am super excited to uh, introduce Allison Argrim. Bring her up. There she is. There she is. Hi. hi. Hello. Now, <laughs> this is Nellie from Little House on the Prairie, Walt. Yes. And, yes. I'm very much aware. And when I when I told you that, uh, well, when our, our guest booker guy, you're actually the first guest he's gotten. Our other guest was a friend of ours we already knew. And then he tried to get Buzz Armstrong. He tried to get Tom Brady. He tried to, who was it? Oh, Elon Musk. <laughs> he failed on all fronts. And I didn't <laughs> care because he got you. And to me, that's way better. I think. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we. Um, so, so this is a comedy podcast. You can say whatever you feel like. It doesn't matter to us. You're uh, you're all good on your end. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, this is surreal. Now it now, is. It's really surreal. I'm like fangirling. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not really in France. I I'm pretending to be in France today. Oh, I just sure. felt like it. <laughs> I will be in France in October. But I thought, well, that's, I'll just I'll. I want to bring up that French in a minute because I, there was something about your your one woman show. So, so uh, Allison played yeah. Nasty Nelly Olson, uh, Little House on the Prairie, from seventy four until like eighty somewhere around there, I believe. Uh, eighty one, and then I went back for an episode in eighty three. It was crazy. Um, now Walt is not really that schooled in Little House on the Prairie. He was more of like a Columbo guy. He was more of a, what would you say, Fantasy Island Love Boat, which you were on both of them. I, but I was on both Fantasy Island Love Boat, and my mother had a guest star role on that new, the new Columbo, that later series they did. Mm-hmm. So. Who was your love interest on the Love Boat? I did not have one. It sucks so bad. I didn't get to go out on the boat either. They took the boat out like twice a year. Uh, Charo, Charo always got to go. Very jealous. Um, but I had to, you know, be in the studio and pretend to be in a boat. I did not because I played um, evil child star Becky Daniels, who's oh. come to film the Becky That's Daniels right. show. You're, you're friends with uh, the daughter of Captain right. Stooping. I'm horrid to her. I uh, she's a fan, and then little Jill Whalen, uh, Captain Stooping's daughter. I make her my stand and torture her and dump water on her, hit her with eyes and stuff. Episode. Nancy Culp from the Beverly Hillbillies played my aunt Gert. <laughs> I love her so much. Um, so that was really cool. It was really fun. But I, I played an evil child star. I did not, which is a drag because you know who's on the show? That same episode was the big, tall, blonde guy. Um, he was in the original when they did Brideshead Revisited series, British actor, guy named Anthony Andrews, big, tall, blonde thing. So cute. Had such a crush. But I was dressed like a 13, 14-year-old child star. So he didn't know I was over 18. <laughs> and I was like, hi. And he's like, hey, Mr. Gal. And I'm like, hey, So, yeah, I had no love interest, nor was I successfully able to hit on the handsome male actor on the show. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's enough for me. Very <laughs> sad. Uh, yeah, I have tons of stuff. Like I was a hooker on Fantasy Island. Does that help? I, I oh yeah, yes. oh, that. that. was a horrifying too, yeah. episode. It was a horrifying. It was like about human trafficking. So, um, Jan Brady Eve Plum. She goes to Fantasy. She's the one who goes to the island. And she was pregnant with some mysterious television disease where she's not going to live to see the baby grow up. And they never quite explain how this is working, but there you are. And so Ricardo Montalban takes um, Jan Brady into the future to see her child grow up. And clearly there's issues that she's like running away and stuff. And then they get to where she's like 18. <laughs> I'm on the corner. I am on the corner in bad spandex being beaten by my pimp. And she does this quantum leap thing to save me, jumps into the fantasy, even though Ricardo Montalbano said, you can't do that. You must never do that. And she jumps into the thing. And so she sneaks into the brothel to rescue me, um, but not before I get auctioned, auctioned, a live human auction off to a guy named Lucky Eddie for $5,000. And, and then the place gets raided and I get saved. Where was the island at? Like when you filmed it, what island were you on? It's no island. It's not real. It was a television show. There is no island. Oh, it's a stage with astroturf and pretend palm trees and oh. some lovely girls, some models in little sarongs hanging out. That's kind of it. Let me save you the embarrassment, Walt. It was a wig, her curls, and little house. <laughs> also, also, the town, the town, a little house, the walnut grove. Also not real. There is a real, 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 actual real Walnut Grove, Minnesota, in Minnesota. Lovely place. Tiny little place. Has a Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum. Lovely. You should visit. It's great. However, we didn't film there. Um, we made a fake town over in gorgeous Simi Valley, California. Gorgeous. Way too hot, but gorgeous. And uh, Big Sky Ranch. And we did a big uh, fake town there where we filmed the show and pretended we were in Minnesota, even though it didn't look. Minnesota, but it, that's where he did it and, it, and it's not there anymore. I mean, the ranch is, but the buildings aren't. So, yes, when people say, I want to visit Walnut Grove, you cannot. Yeah, they didn't. Do you love, do you love bursting their bubble? Does that little bit of Nelly come out? So you're like, yeah, isn't that terrible? I know, I'm just the worst, like, it's not real. It's not real. But <laughs> <laughs> that is like, okay, so got this, read it. Awesome book. I can't recommend it enough. If you're Again, I apologize for my friend Walt. He's not a bonnet head like my wife and I, Mary Beth. <laughs> um, uh, but if you're at all into Little House, it's it's a great book. It, like and a lot of stuff about like your upbringing that I, that was incredibly interesting. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I had a heck of a time writing it. I thought, well, you know, it's like throwing everything and the kitchen sink. Yeah, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived, being Nellie Olson and learned to love being hated. Um, it's so true. Um yeah, I, you know, I had been talking about stuff in my life in my one woman show and telling more and more stories and with my work with Protect, talking more about my childhood and difficult times. And, and as you know, in the book, during the time I was right, a lot of people were, were dying. My, I lost my mom in 2001 and then my father in 2009, right before the book came out and all this stuff was going on. I thought, well, I guess this, this is all going. It's just all going in the yeah. book. But I also talk a lot about seriously the day-to-day minute-to-minute what it was like on the set to actually make this show which people do they find fascinating people are fascinated by little house 50 freaking years later but they want to know they go how did they do that why is there snow i know there's no snow you're in calvin why how what, what you were in the did you actually nearly drown in a river how did you do that without drowning I've, and so yes i i go into detail on all that stuff and this this show is you do it throughout America, and you said earlier because you're you have the Eiffel Tower there. Um, you also do it all in French. Yeah, in yeah. French? I started doing you know my show God, way back in you know, 2002. I started doing a show where or all true stories. I've been doing stand up since I was like 15, and then I started a whole one woman show where I tell all true stories. We have a question and answer segment which people love. I have actually have cards that say Ask Allison anything. <laughs> And so I started doing that, very successful, and then I was doing it everywhere, and then I went to France, and they were like, yeah, no, we could kind of do this, and I'm like, I would have to learn to speak French. I have high school French, it's not that good, and they're like, well, you could go back to school, and I went back to school, and this guy wrote this adaptation, this guy, Patrick, in France, wrote this adaptation of my American show, but in French, like, this joke, it makes no sense in French, we take this one out, we put another in, and so made up this, it was brilliant. 
And I did that. And then we had a new show called Malo Tresor de Nelly Olson, which is Nelly Olson's Trunk of Treasures. That was really silly. And we have a new show but on, on Flamme. It was uh, uh, Nelly Olson uh, Allume Les Années 80, but now it's actually Nelly Olson uh, en Flamme Les Années 80. Uh, Nelly Olson sets fire to the 1980s. Yeah. It's really fun. It's got like nostalgia stuff. It's got game show parodies, stuff about 80s music, 80s culture in France, 80s TV in America versus 80s TV in France and all kinds of crazy stories. And yes, it's all in French, which I speak much better than I did when I started. But yes, I do a whole comedy show in French. That's that's crazy. It's nuts. I did a movie in France. I did. Yeah. yeah. Now, Walt, if you want to watch Walt perk up, we're going to we'll talk about your parents. Now, her dad's name is Thor. Now, Walt's super into comics. Named after the Norse god? Nor after, actually, his full name, uh, Thor Hudler Marvin Arngrimson. And as he said, uh, when I said, God, last name of Arngrim, this is really hard. I might, that my last name is Arngrim. He said, think yourself lucky. If you were a proper Icelandic girl, your full name would be Thor Hudler Daughter. D-O-T-T-I-R. So, yeah, so uh, raised by an Icelandic farm family uh, named Thor and or Thor Hudler, which is Thunder Bearer, Thor, God of Thunder, Thor Hudler, Thunder, he who brings the thunder. Hell of a name. And uh, my mother was uh, the actress Norma Macmillan, who was the voice of Casper the Friendly Ghost, Gumby. Sweet Polly, purebred underdog's girlfriend, as in, where, where is my underdog? Yes, that's her. And yes, Davy of Davy and Goliath. That's my mom. Wow. wow. My mom <laughs> He's gone nuts. He's gone. And it's really weird, too, because if you watch all those cartoons and stuff, you know, and then the claymation, that there's only like two people doing doing everything. So, you know, Davy. Davy's mom, my mother's doing Davy's mom. Davy's mom's voice, she's Davy's mom, she's Davy, she's all of Davy's friends, she's Davy's sister. And then the guy is Goliath, the dog, but he's also the preacher, Davy's dad, the fireman, the policeman, so that, that's it. So when like Davy has a party and his mom and his sister are there and four of his friends, it's my mother having a seven way conversation by herself. <laughs> Bananas. Uh, her dad also managed Liberace. Yes. Wow! I cover with Liberace. It's, it's, My father it's worked at, worked at the big nine thousand building on Sunset for Seymour Hiller and Associates, who handled Debbie Reynolds and Liberace and the Treneers, and all this is a huge deal. And he was assigned to be the, like, the LA person for Liberace. We actually rented a house in the Hollywood Hills around the corner from Liberace. Like I don't know, in case he needed something. No. What? Um, someone to come shine his diamonds. I and so we'd go to his shows, and it was kind of hilarious because I ate. But I'm a Hollywood kid, and my parents say, "No, we're going to go see Liberace." But don't say anything. You have to be in your best behavior. Don't say anything because no one must know that Liberace is gay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, I'm eight. I know he's gay. What? <laughs> like, um, he just flew over the stage. He's like wearing rhinestone hot pants. I think. I think people know. I think his fans know. I think they really know. My parents are like, no, no, they don't know. I'm like, oh, I think they know. And he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He was like, just like the gay Elvis. This guy was a genius. And all his shows all sold out. He he gave us a phrase that is still in our language. A critic said that Liberace's show was was dumb, that it was like just saccharine and silly and these ridiculous songs and all this, <laughs> brother George, and just pan him said he was awful. And, of course, his entire tour was sold out. You couldn't get a ticket. He was making so much money. And he said about the review, when I read the review, I cried all the way to the bank. <laughs> um, <laughs> I cried all the way to the bank. That We say this, that is from Liberace. He made that's why we say that it's his and he was a riot and his fans they they sort of knew but like they didn't care it was these old ladies and they were like oh yes he's that way you know (laughs) so your father managed him yes he worked he was vice president of western regional something under seymour heller if you saw the movie um that whole thing about liberace that that movie they did and Seymour was played by Dan Aykroyd. And my God, he did a good job. When, when Dan Aykroyd came and sat down on the couch, went, Hrumph, I went, it's like, ah, because I'd seen that in my living room when my dad's boss would come over for dinner. That was, that was, I know that guy. Um, so yes, my dad had to, you know, make sure 
all his LA shows, check in, make sure everything was being done correctly, and that they had, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it was like the brown M and M's backstage, what kind of rider he had, but like make sure it was all correct. Um, go up to if, if he called and said I'm having a meeting at my house, can you come over? Some agents here, and I don't trust them. You, I want one of my team here. My father would get in the car and go around the corner, go to his house. Like your dad, your dad seemed like a wild guy. Like he, he was. <laughs> I told him he was already, you know, sick as I was getting into, you know, finishing up the book. And um, he said, you know, I'd given him a couple sample chapters. And he was really excited. He was like, oh, it's like that. I'm like, oh, this is great. And I said, now you understand. I said, I'm laying it all out. You're, you're, you're not getting father of the year, probably, <laughs> from this book. And he said, yeah, I lost that contest a long time ago. I'm pretty clear on that. I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, but, you know, and I started telling some of the stories. He goes, wait, I'm a rogue? I'm like a lovable rogue? I said, yes. I said, basically, what I can tell you is uh, if they made the movie, every actor in Hollywood would beat each other up on the studio steps to play you. And he's like, yes, yeah. And then, of course, you know, he you read the book, he, he dies. You know, my father died of Parkinson's uh, complications in 2009. And the editor said, I know you got to do the, like the epilogue thing. Can you talk about that? I know it's terrible, but she said, everybody at Harper Collins, the publishers wants to know what happens to the crazy dad. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but my father was an actor. He was an actor and a producer. He was an actor on Broadway and he was a producer. So, I reconciled myself to it that he got the finale and he got a death scene and he would have wanted that. So <laughs> it's like so twisted. But yes, I, I have a chapter all about him called the publicity seeking missile. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, like, he, he snuck into that party. I guess Michael Landon was like, what the hell are you doing here? We said, book. yes, the big NBC hoo-ha kickoff celebrity party, like Golden Globes people, like the, like the, all the foreign press associated Golden Globes, like heavy duty party. And only certain people were invited, like the Waltons. Remember, none of those people were famous. Mike, Michael Lerner, incredible woman. She, she wasn't famous yet. And you know, Will Gear was famous. None of those kids, nobody knew who they were. Nobody knew who Richard Thomas was yet. Will Gear was invited from the Waltons because they knew who he was. Didn't know he and the same thing, Michael had come up bonanza. Michael was invited, but nobody else from Little House in the Prairie, they weren't famous yet. Nobody really knew who anyone was. But my dad had a friend who was in the foreign press, Jean Lorraine, this guy out of Montreal, and he's like, hey, you want to go to this party? Um, he knew. He's like, I can totally get you in. I can totally get you. You should get it. You've got to get go. You just go. Just go. I will get you in. Don't ask any questions. Just say, I get when you come up, you have my pass. You say, yes, he let, said I can come. And you get dressed up and you walk in and just do it. And you will be photographed with. And it was all the people there. Barbara Eden was there. Karen Valentine, all the big stars of that year who had shows on. He said, you will be photographed with all of these people and with Michael and nobody else. Nobody else from Lassen Prairie will be there. They just won't. And my father's like, we're going. <laughs> I, I got a new dress and everything. And it was amazing. And there was this picture of me with Michael. And he's grinning. But he also, his eyes are like, oh, how did you, how'd you get in here? How did you get in here? I have no idea. And it's just like, okay, you people. So, yeah, it was it was hilarious. Right? My father would go under the door, over the transom, whatever, to to like get that publicity get that dollar yeah that's um he might be, he might have been the hardest working guy on hollywood at the time <laughs> i mean it seemed like he did a lot of stuff <laughs> um so you're you're like really like with all the transgender stuff today you are on the ground floor what because you were friends with christine jorgensen christine jorgensen back when I mean, what did what did we even call it? There was a time where there was no name for this. It was, a, I mean, there have always been people who were trans. There's people who are uh, medically what they even call intersex, which is a whole other thing. I mean, there's several different people just don't even realize the things that do go on biologically as well as psychologically for people. And there was this Christine Jorgensen, and Christine Jorgensen was famous and did talk about her previous life because she was. She she wasn't planning on the fame thing, but she kind of got caught at the airport kind of thing. The paparazzi, somebody leaked the story, and she'd gone all the way to Denmark because that's what you had to do then. You had to, like, go to Denmark. And her family supported her. Her family, when she was George, said, yeah, you need to do this. You need to do this. In fact, you should probably go see this guy in, in Denmark, really, seriously. And she, she did. And so she comes back, and then it just hits the fan. 
and suddenly she's famous and her family, they kind of, they circled the wagons and said, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to approach this? And stuck by her. But years later, Christine has adjusted to life and she's like written a book and she's got a, a cabaret act and everything. And she's doing, so her publicist is my mother's publicist. So yeah, Liberace's manager is Nellie Olson's manager. Christine Jorgensen's publicist is Casper the Friendly Ghost's publicist. This is how Hollywood works. And so we meet her, and she comes over to the house, and she is the nicest person you ever could want to meet. And I really liked her because you know how some adults, if you're a really little kid and like you look young for your age, they really talk down to you. They're like, nying, 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 nying. and it's really annoying um, when you're a kid, especially. And then there's the other adults who are like, so. You know, what do you do? Do you like school? Do you hate school? Hey, I don't know. What are your favorite shows? You need any good movies? And they talk to you like a normal person. This was Christine. And I called her Auntie Christine, and she was really nice. And that's the things my parents said. Well, God, I was like six, seven years old. We kind of have to tell you who Auntie Christine is. She's famous. I'm like, cool. I mean, a lot of our friends were famous. Everybody we knew was on TV. <laughs> And then they said, "How I, we don't know how to explain this because we didn't have the language. This is the 60s. They didn't have. I mean, they, they, people didn't say non-binary or transgender. This is like, we know. People know what to even call each other. It was craziness. And they said, well, Auntie Christine, technically, uh, how do we say, it used to be a man. And of course, I thought this was brilliant. I thought this was amazing that a person could do this. I'm like, wait, you can do that? They can do that. That's like science is on the march. That's a fantastic news. Why is no one talking? You're like Walt when so you find out your I, mom's I, I totally, I really admired her. I was like, wow, that's great. And then I was like sort of embarrassed. Like, do I say anything? I was, I'm sort of staring at her because I'm like seven. <laughs> um, but no, she was a fabulous and gracious and, and lovely woman. And it was interesting because as seemingly very, very adult concept that my parents tried to break it down for, ah, and I'm like, so it's an operation. They go, yeah, it's really complicated. And a couple operations, I'm like, but like, I could become a guy if that was a thing. Like I said, I had, and they were like, technically, yeah. And the idea that that was that put out, obviously, I, 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 I stuck with this. I, I am cisgender. <laughs> I am female. I did like fine. But, the idea that that idea was put out there and I went, there really are these, this is a thing. There are some people that this is their life. And I knew this as a young kid. I knew there were some people were gay and some people were lesbian and some, some people were trans. I only knew Andy Christine was, but it was a thing. So later in life, as all of these things became huge issues that were discussed every day in the news and they made TV shows and movies about, I was like, well, yeah, well, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's Where have people up. all been? <laughs> uh, I thought that was that was really interesting. Um, there's some stuff you say in the book too that I'm like, I'm glad that she said it because it, it makes the rest of the book credible. Like when you're like Melissa Sue Anderson, kind of a bitch, Carrie, kind of slow. It's the stage mothers. It's the moms. It's the moms. It's always the crazy parents and. You know, you take a bunch of like tween girls, me and Melissa, and Melissa Sue, and we're like, what, you know, 12 and 11 and 10, oh, good Lord, and shove us all in a soundstage for seven years. And the pressure of being a child actor and the amount of work involved, and if you have a highly competitive, kooky stage parent, it, you know, some of these child actors and these parents, it's like, it's like a dog fight. So these people just taking their kids and they're very competitive. And there are, and we've heard stories about even some of the famous child stars where the parents were like, no, don't don't talk to the other children. No, no, you can't play with them. And it's like, Ugh. Um, and I think a lot of stuff got laid on her. <laughs> and I think she thought Melissa Gilbert and I were juvenile delinquents, and she may have been right about that. So, um, yeah, it was really weird. I, you know, we were probably lucky we didn't just like tear each other's hair out. I mean, a bunch of teenage girls in this situation. But yes, it was weird, and I come because it's sort of funny that. The girl is playing the most innocent, sweet girl who goes blind is actually the one who's copying the more Hollywood diva of the three. It was like, what is going on? Yeah, and her character also was like, she was she was sort of like more sanctimonious than, say, uh, Laura was. So she, she was more like Pa, I think, than she was like Ma. And that's a thing in the books. If you read the books, Laura's kind of open about <laughs> Mary, um, that Mary is a little too goody-goody. 
and a little too serious. And like as they get older, they even talk about why were you so difficult? Mary's like, I'm sorry. I don't know. And (laughs) they did a musical. They did a musical of a stage musical of Little House. And they have a song called So Good, which is Laura complaining about how Mary is such a just wet blanket narc goody goody. It's basically like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Completely. Utterly, utterly, utterly. Oh yeah, they had a they have a huge fight in one of the early books because Mary's blonde, and some crazy relative remarks that her blonde hair is prettier than Laura's, and Laura goes nuts. So that was that was a real thing in Laura's life in the books. Do you think? Um, do you think Pa Ingalls was the Mike Brady of the frontier? Kind <laughs> right? Had the hair, the hair, the hair with it. <laughs> Um, truly, truly, and of course, it's interesting. So we, you know, we talk about like it's so crazy. You have three, you have three levels. It's like what with Star Wars, you have the you know the comic books, and you have the cartoons, and you have the video, the other videos, and you have the movies. Um, you have the what, what is canon and what is not. Um, with Little House, you have the TV show, you have the books, and then you have Laura's actual life and history because she started making stuff up in the book she kind of messed with the timelines and went well let's talk i'll say i moved to that town earlier and sound better okay this is my favorite part the people at the walnut grove museum said they love this when women who know all about the show in the books are there in the museum and have dragged the boyfriend along and about an hour in he turns around and goes this shit's real Always good. Yes. Laura Ingalls Wilder was a real live human um, who was born in in, uh, Pepin, Wisconsin, and lived for some time in Walnut Grove, uh, uh, Minnesota, as well as all over the states. They kept moving. And she eventually settled in uh, Mansfield, Missouri, where she, with her husband, El Manzo, she sat down and said, hey, you know, I should write these books. And her daughter, Rose, was by then an author, was like, mom, 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 you got to write, got to write about those farm stories. It's, it'll sell. And she wrote Little House in the Big Woods and Little House on the Prairie and Farmer Boy in a Little Town on the Prairie and blah, 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 like, like nine of them. And eventually what happened is a guy named Ed Friendly was shopping it around to networks trying to sell a show of it. And then Michael Land and came off Bonanza and went that, 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 I want to do that and suddenly we had Little House in the Prairie the TV series with uh, Michael Landon the books came out in the 1930s during the Depression and were insanely popular because the Ingalls were poor in the 1800s and now everybody was broke in the Depression so they really dug the books and then in the 70s we had a recession and people didn't have any food and they really dug the show so it all all just kind of worked out seamlessly and um, was a gigantic, massive hit. But yes, there really is. It was a Laura, and she had a daughter named Rose. Rose did not have kids. There's a lot of cousins, people who are descended from the cousins. Um, Nellie, Nellie had a bunch of kids, and I actually was on the phone once with, I believe, my my grandson. I <laughs> there are Nellie descendants walking, walking among us. You said something in your book that I, I felt the same way about Fight Club is that you said like Michael Landon and Ed Friendly looked at those books, which are, a lot of them are boring. And, and they, they saw a TV show. And that's the way I felt with Fight Club. I'm like, oh, I read the book and I saw the movie and I was like, whoever saw this movie is the real genius. Right, movie. right. And that's the thing. And they saw two different, very, two very different TV shows. Ed Friendly's vision was a little kind of, you know, more PBS. It was going to be more, you know, this endless shots of the prairie and sunrise and the children were going to be barefoot. And it was going to be super authentic and down like, you know, just what was that movie Days of Heaven? It was going to look like Days of Heaven, basically. Okay. Like, it was like that kind of thing. Whereas Michael went, look, I just kind of came off a TV show, very formulaic, but extraordinarily popular. And I know how it's done. I've directed episodes of Bonanza. I know what I'm doing. And he said, yes, we're going to do, do super prairie authentic, but we're going to include all these elements that people are familiar with from a TV show because it's got to be 22 minutes, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, he said, well, as you once said, he said there in the books, there's an entire chapter on how to make an apple fritter. And I can't film that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, he's like, no, you add things. And that's why he chose not really the book, little house in the prairie. They were in Kansas. He chose the book, Banks of Plum Creek, because he said that's what you want to make a show from. The pilot can be out in the prairie in Kansas. He said the show, you want to be in town where you have the school and the church 
and the store and the Mrs. And Mr. Olson and the doctor. And you have these people who make up a town for the Ingalls to interact with. And you have an enemy. You have Nellie. You have all this excitement. And he said that's a much more exciting book and has more going on that you can make a TV show out of. And hello, smart. Yes. Okay, I feel like I'm hogging up, Allison. Is there anything you guys want to ask? Oh, Do so get, get, don't, you, don't you say we have a bonnet head, a true bonnet head fangirl who is like shrieking and fangirling out right yeah. here. Yeah. Hi. Like, 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 don't you want to ask something? Let her ask something. She's, it's only by my good graces that she's here. <laughs> you have to well, she should be very, very grateful to you, but let her ask something. <laughs> I know, I'm too much of a big mouth. Uh, Go ahead. You want to ask one of my questions? It's like a blank. She's like dying here. What do you want to know? This is the chance. I'm here. Look, yeah. Okay, Jay, what what you do you Walt's questions? <laughs> I'm not taking Walt's questions. What, okay, what's your fast food guilty pleasure? Really? <laughs> yeah, that's Walt's. I question. don't. I mostly. I know. I sound like oh, fast food. I ate a lot of junk when I was a kid. I ate all kinds of just crap. Now I'm like, I will go. To Jack in the Box, Jacques dans le Bois. I will do Jack in the Box, and I will get the um, the little Chinese Asian bowl thing with the rice and the chicken, the teriyaki bowl with the sauce, because it's got like vegetables. It actually, it's like broccoli and carrots are, and chicken. Are you in California? I am. I am in Los Angeles. Yeah, we, we I will eat have, that. Oh, okay. I eat that. I don't. Boxes, yeah, I don't. You have jacket box everywhere. I don't. I don't eat um, red meat, so I don't eat the burgers. I'll eat like a chicken sandwich. I'll eat chicken and stuff like that. And um, so I like like the teriyaki bowl. That's kind of it. Um, I'm trying to think of other. Fa- There's a place near me that's not a chain. It's called like the old tiny diner thing, and they make a turkey burger, and they don't put salt on their fries, and they make all these sodas. They, they, yeah, I'll go like there. Um, but I generally do not eat very much fast food, like at all. Gotcha. Well, that was some gotcha journalism. I won't flag again. Pay off for it. Um, you said also in your book that like. And this reminds me of like back in the eighties. There was um, a, a harm, a haunted mansion, and a up here by where we live. And people would like go after the actors, like the guys dressed up as Frankenstein or Dracula. They would like hit them and stuff. And uh-huh. you said that like just going out, like I think you was you and was it Catherine McGregor? You yep. guys went some, and and they were like, we don't like you. And oh, <laughs> it was insane. It was a very, very, very posh private school in L.A. And so for their Easter fair, they oh they had baby ducks. They had everything at this Easter fair. And someone, I guess, I think someone at that school either worked for the network or knew somebody. Because they said, we want Catherine McGregor and Alice and Aaron, we want them in costume. And normally that kind of request would be like, are you high? No, that's not happening. But somebody knew somebody. So we get this call. Hey, you guys, like somebody worked for him, some NBC executives, kids went there or something. They're like, you're going. Like, really? And I remember my father said, this is a bad idea. And so we get, we, I mean, the studio was in a, we went to the studio and had them completely do our hair, get the thing in the outfit, the girls in the, in the costume. And we went in full prairie drag as Mrs. Olson and Ellie to this event. Everyone was horrified. Nobody wanted our autograph. Catherine made a small child cry. And these people cried. <laughs> Look, it's Mrs. Olsen. Like, ah! I was screaming and crying in terror. And Catherine was absolutely, she was really upset. She was like drama. She was like, I'm making children cry. No. She was horrified. Um, and finally, we kind of gave up. We just kind of gave up. And my father said, "Just we should just, this is stupid. And I went and got a hot dog and a slushy. And that's when two little girls ran up behind me and kicked me in the butt and knocked me onto the pavement losing my hot dog and slushy. And I realized, though, that with that petticoat is so heavy, I couldn't could get up. And then my father came and got me and was like, I knew this is a terrible idea. And he got, he bought, before we left, though, he bought me another hot dog and a slushy, to his credit. And um, he said, we're leaving. And dragged me out of there and, and even and called the people who set it up and said, I told you this was a terrible idea. He said, that, what do you say? That costume, it, it incites people. It incites people. <laughs> I was like, seriously. I, he was very dramatic about it. But he said, look, you're not, you're not Holly Hobby. You're not Strawberry Shortcake. You're an actress who happens to play someone in the 1800s. They really can't be going around in the freaking costume. It's too much. Um, because even without the costume, I mean – 
with the Christmas parade where somebody threw a McDonald's cup of orange soda at my face as I'm going, ah, Merry Christmas. Um, and direct hit, moving object, I will yeah, give him credit. But yeah, no, I, I, still, I still, I am 61 years old and I still have people go, that episode in the music, my dear mean to the stuttering girl is horrible. They're like still visibly upset um, and come to me to yell at me in my face about things I did. So, yeah. All she can do is stutter. You said that in, in your book, you used PMS to motivate you at times. <laughs> just be so bitchy as Nellie. Like, was, was there anyone in your life or anyone you knew that you were sort of channeled? Because it seemed like oh, everybody God. in your life was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of girls at school. I mean, that's the, one of the reasons people like this thing was everybody had a Nellie at their school. Everybody had a Mrs. Olson at their job. Everybody knew somebody like that. So they're like, yes, 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 we understand. And um, there were a couple of girls at my school. There was like the girl when, oh, yeah, we were like passing a note to start. We're going to have a, someone's having a party at their house. So it's the passing the note. You're coming. And she intercepted the note and twisted this girl's arm behind her back. And took the note out of her hand and said, you'd better invite me and threatened to beat us all up if we did not have her over. Um, <laughs> charming, charming. Yeah, yeah, this girl. And um, there was um, there were a couple of real buttes. There were a couple of girls who were kind of hostile in elementary school and junior high that I had to deal with. And I was kind of like, oh, what would she do? Yes, it would be like it would be like this. <laughs> and so I knew I knew I'd had people act like Nellie and treat me that I was more the Laura at school. I was more the bully fodder who got clobbered. So I certainly knew what bullying looked like. I'd seen it up close as it came at my face. So I, I was like, well, here's my here's my revenge. This is my revenge. Everyone who's mistreated me, I'm I'm going to send them up and parody them on national television. <laughs> You gotta use it. Um, you want to have anything? You want me to? I, can I, keep I just want you to keep, you just want me to keep going. Let the crazy bonnet head lady ask a question. You want to have something all these years? She just watched it recently, actually. Like, that's the good thing about like having a younger wife is now I can go back and rewatch all the 70s and 80s stuff that she hasn't seen. That I'm like, this is great. This is great. This is great. Well, we we, we had the regular generation, the original. We had the rerun generation, the like after school generation. Then we had the um, VHS generation, the DVD generation. And now people are watching it on their phones. So we're like seven generations of viewers in at this point. What what day did it? Uh, I know I recall it airing on Sunday nights. Did it air on Sunday nights through its entire run? No, it started on Wednesday nights, September eleventh, nineteen seventy four. It started on Wednesday nights, and then we moved. We moved to Monday, um, which was scandalous because we thought we were done for. We were we were a hot show, so NBC was playing with the board going, how can we compete against it? And they moved us and put us opposite Rhoda and Phyllis. The one CBS. <laughs> and I liked Rhoda and Phyllis, and I, they were big hits, and I thought, well, that's we're going to get clobbered. And we clobbered Rhoda and Phyllis. They, like, changed their time slots because it was too awful. That, that, was, too, that was a CBS show, right? Rhoda and Phyllis? Yeah, yeah. But I recall it being on Sundays. Am I wrong? Uh, yes. Like reruns or something. They did a Sunday night special. But yeah, we started on Wednesdays and then we're on Mondays. So you, so you pretty much there was only the three channels. So like, what was like, what was the competition for all those years? Like, what yeah. were you up against that you oh, guys? Like Monday night football. There was Rhoda and Phyllis. Oh my God! There was uh, Mel Brooks had a show. What was it? When things were rotten. And I, was yeah. I really liked that. I, sh I wanted to watch that. I was like, I'm <laughs> on. Yeah. Um, the Harriet and Nellie, I think, are two of the most iconic 70s bullies ever. Villainous is both of them. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what, did you ever, like, did anyone ever psychoanalyze Nellie? Not not officially, but I've noticed that over the years, people do have a slightly different attitude. Back in the 70s, it was just, well, she's just bad. She's bad. She's mean. Belly. And then like 80s, 90s, it was sort of high camp. Well, she's bad, but she's baby Joan Collins. She's a bitch, yeah. And they kind of liked it. And now, I mean, when I was in France, I talked about that in the book that blew my mind. They all started having this discussion like they were analyzing Nellie. And they said, she was a, a child, a child without a smile. 
and that Nellie was jealous and lonely because here was Laura who had Pa for and Ma Ingalls for her mom, and here was Nellie with Mrs. Olson, and 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 here was this lovely family, the Ingalls, and here she had her stupid brother Willie and everything, and she actually had everything materially. She had you know she was rich, but she didn't really have real friends. And she didn't have the parents Laura had. And people liked Laura and didn't really like Nellie that much. And she was insanely jealous. And and that's why she was acting out. And now people tend to say, well, of course, that poor girl was like, look at her mother. Look at her mother. Oh my God, her mother acting <laughs> yeah. like that, that poor child. And she was jealous. She couldn't help herself. So, like, now people are more sympathetic. They kind of think about these things going, well, I mean, the mom's crazy. If really, if you act like that, your kid, of course, she's going to be that way. What do you expect? Yeah, but like on the, but then you have Nels, who's so even, like beyond even keeled. He's trying to be nice, and he's being very modern. I mean, he's trying not to. I mean, he threatens to get the belt and go all 1800s and beat me. But, you know, you never see him do it. And you know that, like, what, even when he said, that's it, that, like, once we got up there, he's like, well, you really need to change your ways. I'm so totally not beating you. You know, you know he didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were being very forward. Right. He did have weird episodes, though. Like one of the the strangest and the most enjoyable episodes is the Legend of Black Jake, which is like later on in the series. It's so out of nowhere, like has yes, nothing we, to do with anything. And we had stuff like the James brothers show up, and I'm not sure timeline wise if Jesse right. James if that was even physically possible. It was like what that? Yeah, we got oh, and the one the famous Jump of the Shark episode where, and it was meant to be stupid where. Uh, this guy comes in and is explaining the concept of chain restaurants and tries to have Mrs. Oh, yeah. tell him chain. And at the end of the show, a guy dressed up as Colonel Sanders gets out of the, the buggy and it's like, hi, and it's like, get away, get away. Yeah. And it's like, ah, ha, 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 KFC. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, stuff like that. Like, uh, there are moments though, like, like when we watch the show and, and like, I watch it and I look at your eyes, like when you're, when you're interacting with someone and I'm like, Nellie is a sociopath. Like there's no fucking doubt about it. Like, like the, the minor shifts in your expressions in your eyes. I'm like, that's a fucking good actress, man. Thank you. And see, the, people are catching the little subtleties now. Like they're noticing the difference between like me and like Nancy, my horror adopted sister. And when I met her, she even said she grew up watching the show. She had watched me. And she said, well, I, I didn't want to copy you. He was like 11. And her mom was a psychologist, so she was very aware of things. She said, I didn't want to copy you. I want to do something different. And you were kind of, you know, bitchy. She said, so I decided to go with crazy, which, as you saw, Nancy really was. Nancy was very disturbed, and she was playing it that way on purpose. That's why a lot of people find Nancy more annoying. Um, but, yeah, there's many subtle things, almost little Easter eggs that we actors put in, little asides, little like spit takes, little sh jokes, little tiny little things that we kind of threw in. And back in the 70s, I don't think people even noticed. People were not that aware. They were just kind of falling to bed. And now everyone's going, hey, like in the wedding episode, when you and Percival are driving away and he says to the honeymoon and you do this weird take and look at him, what was that? I'm like, no one has noticed that for 50 years. 50 i made that fabulous we put in this hilarious take where it's like the honeymoon i'm like wait what and it's freaking hilarious and nobody has commented 50 years later people are like oh my god that was funny yeah and i could because like in the 70s it's like if you missed it forget it you're not seeing it until the next year maybe you know right well that's it now it's streaming it's on people are oh god the bloopers thing everyone's going crazy so did albert die because albert was going to be a doctor and then albert dies of drug when they wrote it, they never thought you would watch the two episodes back to back. Those episodes were years apart. They had no idea it was going to happen down the road. They went, what are people going to do? Watch the episodes all together and compare them? <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't know. So they went, well, I guess we're going to kill them off now. Uh, didn't we have something in the narration that said he became a doctor? Yeah, but who the hell's going to remember that? Yeah, there was a lot of um, – there were quite a few – like convenient things, like like they would tackle stuff like racism, like Joe Kagan, like they don't want him going to church, and then finally, like the community accepts him. But you never see Joe Kagan again. Like then, right. then he's gone. It, what happened to that lovely stuttering girl that I was so mean to? Where'd she go? <laughs> Chopped off her hair and, and hit the road. She wound up uh, on the TV show Hotel, actually. <laughs> what did she did. Got something? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Nancy, I saw, is more of like a psychopath. She, yeah, yeah. She was, like you said, she was truly crazy. And um, 
there's a moment where like when she goes to get adopted, it really kind of reminded me of Dexter. When um, yeah, Harry we should pretend the cast mother, yeah. Yeah, and Harriet's like, Don't worry, I know what you are. That's so you. creepy. When Harriet sits outside that door and goes, I know why they didn't I knew she was spoiled. I spoiled her. And I know I spoiled it. I will spoil you. That's like, oh my god. Yeah. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, she she's so fun to watch on that show. Like she she and like the way you described her in the book in some of the uh YouTube uh Interviews that I've watched. Bananas. Almost absolute totally bananas. And she was stunningly pretty off camera. Someone recently on Facebook found some old pictures and put them up more like, wait, wait, Catherine McGregor was beautiful. Like, yeah. Um, she was ugly <laughs> to be Mrs. Olsen. She was so gorgeous in real life. She was tall. She was beautiful. She had this long black hair. She said when she was really young, she had long black hair to her waist and wore bright red lipstick, like Chinese dresses, like Dragon Lady. Um, she had long black hair and she was really quite attractive and very well dressed. And one day after school, I was, I guess we all lived in the same neighborhood. Like I lived here. She lived this many blocks over and up. And Richard Bull lived this many blocks over and down, like within walking distance. So I came, was coming in from school and a friend of mine from school, this boy, who was about 13. And we ran into Catherine in the street, which is a common occurrence. And so I was like, oh, hi, how you doing? Yeah, I'm shopping, blah, 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 blah. And she goes on her way. And this poor boy, this 13-year-old boy from junior high, he's staring at her like, and he gets all like weird, goes, um, uh, uh, is that like a friend of your mom? Uh, it's like, you know, the Stacey's mom has got it going on kind of thing. He's like got a crush. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. Did you not know that's, that's Catherine? He's like, who? I said, Catherine McGregor. Who's the woman who plays Mrs. Olsen, you know, on the show? He went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> totally traumatized because he, he'd like fallen madly in love with her in a few minutes. And he'd like the idea that that was Mrs. Olsen upset him. Hmm. They um they they did things where like I I really didn't like what they did with your character in terms of like Percival shows up he's going to straighten out the restaurant but then he ends up like straightening you out to a point where like you become a Stepford wife basically and you're, like, redemption through marriage kind of like eh. um I like that you know they clearly were madly in love I mean that was one of the things that people were like oh Percival and Nellie it's like kind of hot they have a relationship here um, and, and I adored Steve but yeah that last year I was just kind of like coffee coffee lamb stew with anyone like toast with that I was like what what is happening Why? and I kept hoping I'd have a relapse I could have an episode where I'd go nuts and have a relapse and Doc Baker has to be called in um, but they didn't and they weren't they weren't sure what to do they weren't once they'd done that they did a huge thing when I first was getting nice and then I had the babies it was like yes this is brilliant we bring in his family and the whole Jewish thing and then they just went I don't know what to do well now she's nice she's now like every other woman on the prairie and she's making food and we have no idea what to do with this now and I was like I'm just treading water what am I doing here I'm not I've ever there's 10 other women on this show going more coffee I don't I don't need to be here Right. Yeah, you said you said like they weren't willing to cough up any more money in terms of. Uh, well, they sent they sent the suits, as they say. The suits were, and they were just like, "This is how much it is." Uh, it was also, I think that if they'd said show's only going to go two more years to sign for two, I probably would have uh, sure two years. Whoop do you do? But they uh, they wanted us to sign for like five or more, like a long time. And my father was teasing me, saying I was going to wind up like you know Miss Kitty on Gunsmoke. I was going to be there forever. Um, so I was like, ah, it's like time. It was time to move on. Yeah. I watched. I also watched. I married Wyatt Earp. I, I did you all watched. Of it. You got <laughs> through the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I did it. <laughs> you yeah. survived. I married Wyatt Earp. Oh my god. I did. I was able to do it. Um, Wait. Climbing over rocky mountains, skipping river, mountain, mountain, passing river, quiver. We'll be queens and make decrees. They may follow them who please. Yeah. Marie Osmond taught me how to do that. <laughs> Marie Osmond taught me to dance. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I got that thing because they were like, we want Alison Argrim. And she, she's from the prairie. It's just they called my agent. It was like there was no audition. So it's like, show up. I'm like, great. They paid a bunch of money. It was lovely. And so I poof, I'm in Arizona. And there's Marie. And there's these girls. And there's like, oh, there's a dance number. I'm like, 
for a walk and it was a dance and they're doing this whole thing and the choreographer leaves and I'm sitting there going ah and Marie sees it she's like you you have no idea what like what to do do, do you, you don't I'm like I don't dance she's like okay come with me and Marie Osmond drags me up on stage she gets down on the floor she grabs my ankles and puts my feet and goes put your feet like this and I'm, okay and she says, stay like that. And then she poses me, takes my arm. She goes, make, make the letter C. Yes, to this. Very good. Very good. Just curve. And she teaches me this. She puts me in position. She says, no, stay like that. Don't move. And then she says, okay, play the music. Now she says, just follow me. Just follow me. Stay kind of like your and just do whatever I do. Just look at my feet, do whatever I do. And she taught me literally how to dance and how to do this entire routine. And she said, you're singing, you're, you're lip syncing to track. Don't even worry about that. And then when we got to the big soul, my, my solo, We'll be queens and make decrees, baby. Follow it, that whole thing. She came up with that. She goes, okay, okay. Yeah, we'll be queens and make decrees. They may follow them who please. And I'm like, that's insane. She's like, yes, it'll, it'll be hysterical. Do it. And she taught me to do that. And she was in the wings of the theater when they shot it. She's standing off to the side and they're not recording anything because it's a lip sync. So I'm doing that whole thing. And Marie Osmond is in the wings going, go, Allison, do it. Yes, yes, do it. So um, she's a great she's a great teacher, Marie Osmond, dance teacher to the stars, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, it's still like these are heavyweight names from the 70s that you hung out. It was so bonkers. It was really wonderfully weird. It was it was a very strange movie. But it was we were all these actresses that the we were in Tombstone like and there was like the real Birdcage Theater and everything. So it was kind of like wonderfully weird and historic. And, but yes, I I survived three weeks in the desert with Marie Osmond. <laughs> The uh, the reason we I w actually wanted to go back and rewatch the entire series with my wife was because I one day I had this vague memory. I was like, I think there's an episode where Laura goes to hell. I was like, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, what it yes, is. The, yes, the dungeon. That's is it. Music yeah. box. Yeah. yeah, it's the music box. I didn't I didn't remember it was a music box at the time, but I was like, I think Laura's in hell, and I remember Nellie hitting her on the head with a chicken bone or something. And we like, and we hang her. We, we execute her. We we hang. We hang yeah. Lauren. Um, it's an insane episode. The music box. Uh, the stuttering girl. It's the poor little girl who has a stammer, and I am hideous to her. And I got. I call this the episode where even I hate me because it was. I, I'm sorry. I I was in. I had to go to speech class after school when I was a kid. I had a lift. I had a terrible lift. And so my friends. I was friends with all the stutterers and stammerers. I'm not gonna like pick on a stutterer. So I went to school. So I'm like, this is horrible. So I'm like, the whole thing, Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. And she's crying. And it's a like, Katie Kurtzman, great actress. So it's like so awful. I'm like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> so we shoot this thing. And then Laura steals the music box. But she's so guilt-ridden. She has these nightmares. And she's in a medieval dungeon. And Catherine and I are dressed up in like weird dungeon master clothes. And I come down going, <laughs> and I, it's a turkey. It was a big turkey leg. It's like, you know, Renaissance fair. And I whack her in the head with a turkey leg and then eat it. And, um, and then we kill her because she has to be hanged and she's on the cart. And we take, we have, a, they built a gallows, like in the middle of Walnut Grove, they built a gallows in Season Valley. And I had a hood, had an executioner's hood, but with the ringlets sticking out. And then Michael B. Michael's like, here, peppermint stick. So I had a peppermint stick like sticking out of the mouth of the execution. Sorry, the sound started going, and I couldn't hear what you were saying for like the last. I had the executioner's hood and a peppermint stick. Yeah. And then we put her in, we hang her, and then she wakes up. But I'm like, how many shows do you have a dream sequence where they execute and actually hang? the lead actress who's like 12. I mean, it's just like, what is happening? Uh, it was a very, it's one of the weirdest episodes. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's, and that's what I think a lot of people don't realize about the show is that like, it has such a dark edge to it at times. It's not like, it's not the, the very Sylvia episode. Bad. I just interviewed. I just interviewed Olivia Barish, who played Sylvia on my my show, the Alison Argram show, where I interview people. I just had Olivia Barish on the other day, and that was Sylvia part one and two, where Albert has this little friend, this darling little girl who's very like young for her age, and gets sexually assaulted, gets raped by this guy who turns out to be the blacksmith, and he's wearing a mask 
that's like a creepy, weird clown mask. It's the creepiest, scariest thing ever. And then she gets pregnant, and Albert wants to marry her and take her away and make it all okay. And this guy hunts her down and kills her. He murders the child, the little pregnant girl. It's like, what is happening? And this was a two-part episode on Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, that that was an amazing storyline. That one, um, the, the the blind school burning down with oh, the, uh, the baby. The fire. I was sobbing. Yeah, she was crying at that. <laughs> and poor Mrs. Garvey. And and uh, Hersha, Hersha parody played Mrs. Garvey. She's always saying, "I was not using the baby as a battering ram. I was trying to break the window <laughs> with my shoulder. Yes, I still had the baby. I was not using the baby's head to break the window." Because <laughs> people ask, they go, "She using the baby to break the? What is happening in that scene?" They said, "No, I did not use the baby." <laughs> yeah, there was some dark stuff on there. I, I always liked uh, also that you guys, like uh, Mrs. Olsen, had the idea to get the switchboard because if there's anyone who shouldn't be operating a switchboard in town, it's mm-hmm. you guys. And then Listening you use that. In, like, yes. You like why ask your mom about her old husband? Like it's taking such glee in it. Oh, it was great. I love that. Yeah. Harriet's happening. She had the newspaper, and oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you got anything, Walt? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I have a couple. I mean, they're just the questions that I ask all our guests. Um, what makes Allison tick? <laughs> Large amounts of coffee. Um, that's yeah. It's how I manage it all. Goes. Um, what makes me tick? I'm I'm just I'm trying to survive and have a good time. Uh, you know, I, I worked really hard as a little kid. You know, my SAG card says member since 1967. Um, so now at 61, it's like okay, I'm going to do stuff. I, I still work, but like, do I want to do that? Is it, is it fun? Is will it be fun? Does it, does it pay? Does it pay? How much does it pay? Is it interesting? Is it amazing? I tell people, independent film producers, go send me your scripts. Send me your scripts. I will read them. Is it a good script? Is it well written? Okay, good, good. Um, is it SAG? Are you union? Cause we can't need it. We got the pension, you know, we need that. Um, are you union? And then is it, is it funny if it's a comedy? Did it make me laugh? And so is it a good part? Is it a good part? I look, oh, it's not a big part, but it's really interesting. I've always wanted to play somebody like that. Yeah. And do you have any money? Like some money. I mean, my agent will hit you up, but you know, a reasonable amount of money. And generally, if you're making an independent film and you can basically, you can, you can pay people and you, you sign the union papers and your script is interesting that I might be amused to do it you know sling it my way so i'm i'm interested in doing things that are interesting and i'm interested in doing things that help people that's why i do a lot of my charity work but even some of the fan events we've been doing these wacky fan events all over the country the cast of little house a whole bunch of us at a time uh pickers marts the, the antique mart garden things and we've been all over the country we're going to a thing in oklahoma and we're going to a thing in kentucky in august and there are these very strange, it's way in the middle of nowhere. And everything involves like a riverboat ride now, apparently. And, <laughs> but it's hysterical. You get on a Mark Twain riverboat and have dinner. It's actually, it's kind of fun. But we get together as a cast and we get to be with each other and hang out. And we, you know, we sell stuff and it's great. We come home, you get paid. But we hang out with the fans and we meet these people. People come and say, I drove seven hours to get here just to meet you. It's like, Oh my God. So I like to do things that are sort of fulfilling for me and cast. It's not just like, well, I'll go do that. How much is it paid? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. It's like, is it interesting? Will, will somebody benefit from this? Will it make somebody happy? And, you know. Okay, I got another one. What keeps Allison up at night? Again, the coffee. No. <laughs> Oh, God, mostly my cats. Um, the cats like to fight. They like to get one on my feet and one on my head, and or one's on my husband's head and one's on my head. And then they decide to have a knockdown, drag out, yelling, screaming fight at 3 o'clock in the morning. So that's kind of a problem. Um, things that have kept me up at night, uh, menopause, but that's much better now. But, yeah, they're, they're waking up at night, getting it. Just crank the air conditioning. It'll be fine. And uh, <laughs> um, I strange noises, strange noises, and the queen of struggle. What was that? What was that? What was that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? No, nobody heard that. Because Allison, you have hearing like a bat. Nobody heard that. Except um, so yeah, lots of things. I got one more then. What is something that isn't free but you think should be? Oh it's not free. It should be. Gosh. Um health care and toilet paper? Oh. Mic drop. <laughs> I mean, that would pretty much make life so the, just the two right there. Your whole day would be different. 
So you have, uh, like you, you said a little bit earlier, we're over an hour now. Um, you do a lot of charity work, a lot of, um, you're involved in a lot of projects. And one of them stemmed from your TV show husband, Percival, uh, Steve Tracy, yep. who is a very good friend of yours. Exactly. And uh, he, he got HIV and he died of AIDS. And from then on, you've really sort of spearheaded some projects. And Yeah, he did. He, and he went public with his diagnosis. Now, we don't know exactly. He probably was infected like right after the show, maybe. He said, I don't know. He says the 70s. And he said, and at the time he got infected, they, they didn't know yet. In fact, when he started getting sick in, oh, gosh, I want to 85, 84 it took him four doctors to get a diagnosis. He showed up at a doctor and said, look, I'm up on things. I've been reading the articles. I think I have AIDS. And they're like, no, you don't. And he's like, yeah, no, really, I do. This is this is probably Kaposi's sarcoma, the cancer. And they're like, no, it's a bug bite. And he's going, yeah, no, it's not. I Why do I know more about this? This is terrible. And he finally found a doctor who knew what they were doing and ran the right test. And they were like, yeah, sorry, you're, you're right. It's, you have HIV. It's stacking your immune system. I like, oh, crap. So he uh in in like late 85 early 86 he went public he's and he calls i'm going public and he did and he went on television and that wasn't a thing I mean, rock hudson had like just died and he was not going to tell anyone and it was you know, the deathbed thing whereas he was like okay i'm gonna do this more people need to know and he said people need to know but they know me they've seen me from tv if my talking about it helps i'm gonna do it but he was that kind of guy i mean it got it was like I think they came out with AZT like right after he died. They didn't have a lot of drugs then. They certainly didn't have the cocktail now or any of that. They had very experimental stuff they were fooling around with. The fact that he lived as long as he did, a miracle. He was on an experimental drug. He did one of the trials. He said, yeah, I'll try it. And it did the interferon D, I think it was back in the day. He And he had to do injections, like plunge a needle into his leg. And I said, oh, that sounds awful. I said, is that painful? And he said, oh, yeah, no, it hurts like hell. I said, really? He goes, yes, yeah, some of the other guys in the trial quit because it hurt too much. I said, what, why are you still doing it? He said, I kind of have a high tolerance to pain. I can do that. And I said, well, is it going to work? And that's when he said, oh, it's too late. It's too late for me. It won't, it won't save me. I'm too far progressed. I'm doing it so they can study it and save other people after I'm dead. So that's kind of person Dave Tracy was. So, yeah, I started volunteering at AIDS Project Los Angeles and trying to help other people and do education about how not to get it and what to do if your friends are sick. And, and I went all over the country and I did a lot for APLA. I did the AIDS Project Los Angeles Summer Party at Universal where I produced the comedy stage. And we did I, – I hosted a thing called AIDS Vision on public television where I interviewed people about AIDS. I, I did everything. And so you have that going on. You have your one-woman show that you're still doing. Uh, let me confessions of a prairie bitch. Where's the camera? Yeah, there we go. Um, I can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. I, I found it thank very you, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Mary Beth. Anything you want to say to Allison? Goodbye, maybe. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you for giving That's us your adorable. time. Yeah, she's all right. She says she even got a. We're gonna do because um, we have a. Uh, other projects, and we're going to do a retrospective of Little House on the Prairie. And she has her bonnet, her prairie dress, and all kinds of stuff. Good, good, good. I have good. a store online where we can hook her up with bonnets and you know stuff. Oh, an official bonnet for a bonnet. Official, head, yeah. official Little House bonnets. Now, do you have uh, like any social media? I didn't see that in the. God, uh, I'm on everything. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, and I do have an online store. I have a website, bonnetheads.com. And uh, there's a store on Square, Bonnetheads on Square site, and where you can buy all my stuff that will autograph for you and stuff. And um, I'm everywhere. Uh, you sign up for the Nelly newsletter. Email Loose Gravel Prod at AOL. Loose Gravel Productions. Loose Gravel Prod at AOL. And say, I want the Nelly newsletter. And once a month, you get an email telling you where I will be. Nice. All right. Anything else you want to promote? Anything else you got going on? Oh, like I said, check my Facebook because we've got a thing in Kentucky and a thing in Chicago and a thing in Oklahoma. I'm kind of taking June, July off a little easy, but then August, September, October, and then I'm back in New York and then I'm back in France. So I've got back-to-back appearances starting in August. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. On a personal level, like I said, we've been doing this since 2010. This is one of my favorite moments doing it, is is having you on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Walt, I'll turn this guy into a bonnet head yet. Don't you worry about it. (laughs) So thanks again. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. All right, Walt. So that was it. Nelly. Wow. Impressive. Yeah, I, I had no idea she had so much connections to old Hollywood. A lot of connections to the Hollywood that we're interested in. Yeah, I, I knew that uh, that you weren't a Little House fan necessarily, but I knew that when she started dropping the Liberace yeah. and Charo and all that stuff, it, it was going to get you going. Karen Valentine. That's a name. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one almost, you know, that one fall out of my chair. <laughs> Nobody knows who Karen Valentine is. No. Um, what almost made me fall out of my chair was Mary Beth Stone silence for an hour. What the fuck, man? It's Nelly. Had Nelly on. You, you were so excited the whole way here. I you am know, excited. You know I'm you still excited. Yo, know, we got to get excited about Walt. Let me oh. just tell you. She would never make it as a podcaster, you think? She's too emotional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't. I mean, I don't know if tears are the appropriate response to. to I, I might have to break the bad news to Nelly. We're not going to be doing that little house retrospective after all. Uh, I will tell you about American Musical Supply, which is your one-stop shop for all your audio and musical supply needs. With gear for podcasters, guitarists, drummers, vocalists, DJs, and home recording enthusiasts, American Musical Supply has all the equipment for sounding great. They're stocked with the latest and greatest gear from today's top brands like Gibson, Yamaha, Shure, and Zoom, to name a few. And whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, AmericanMusical.com has a variety of products to suit every skill level. And if you don't have a lot of money right now, they have unbeatable payment plans. Uh, payment plans between four and 18 months, four and six month plans starting at 49 bucks with no credit check. Eight and 12 month payment plans start at $299. So shop at AmericanMusical.com and can expect fast and free shipping on nearly all products because they have top gear in stock at four warehouses across the United States. And most United States deliveries take only one or two days. Uh, also, need I mention, and operated. Uh, American Musical Supply has over 30 years of award-winning customer service. Their gear experts are sitting by and would love to help you find the recording production and performance essentials. So visit AmericanMusical.com today. Apply promo code TESD at checkout for $20 off a purchase of $100 or more. That's $20 off using the promo code TESD at AmericanMusical.com. Um, so that's probably it for this week. Uh, Troy come over and he uh, he put together some furniture for me, some patio furniture. He helped me. <laughs> he went to a, he went to a concert. Yeah, you called a homicide detective to help you put together furniture. Well, if he can figure out cases and clues and shit, surely he's good with instructions. <laughs> we we no. got we you got a fucking office coach. I got a mule out there. Like, <laughs> not. I guess there's just no crime or. Uh, yeah, he was like everybody's cool today. <laughs> no problems. Um, no, he uh, he brought his wife and daughter, he dropped them off at the Meadowlands because it was a Taylor Swift concert. And I was thinking like – because he was like, I'm not going to go all the way back to Long Island. I'll just drop them off, go down and hang out with Brian for a while and then go pick mm -hmm. him up. And I was – that moment I was like, I'll bet you Walt would be so glad to be bringing his daughter to a, a concert that has three or four people at it rather than 72,000 people trying to leave Secaucus oh, at the same yeah. time. Like yeah. that's a major, major concert, man. I'm thinking also too after the interview, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to tinker with my questions. I keep asking this question thinking I'm going to get like some real insight, like profound answers. Mm -hmm. And everybody keeps fucking answering it literally when I ask what keeps them up at night. <laughs> and it's not, I'm not getting the weighty response. I'm getting like these fluff like, ads. Like ghosts. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to work on these questions. Retool, the next, phrasing the a little celeb. bit. Yeah. All right. Next lab will probably be Pam and Edgar, so what keeps them up at night? Each other, probably. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Still, huh? Yeah. Their age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Patreon, top tier. <laughs> Tell them, Steve, Dave. 